You're listening to the Believe in Islanders show with Matt Watney. That's right. Another episode of the Believe in Islanders podcast. It's Matt Watney. We're here for the first time since the week before Thanksgiving. That is right. It's been a minute, but we had to take our, our nice little holiday and then may or may not have eaten too much, which uh, brings us on a, a one-week delay. We're back. We're better than ever. We'll maybe have one more week for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, I should say. Probably not, actually. I think we'll be back in time to have a, a show the week of Christmas, the week after the Christmas. So if you're like me and you celebrate you know, Hanukkah, then you're in luck because you'll have some, some content to get you through the, uh, the Christmas break. Or wherever you are, of course, we thank you for joining us here on the Believe in the Islanders podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. And of course, give us a follow on Twitter at Believe in Isles, at MattWatling99. I am eight followers away from 600 followers, which would be a tremendous accomplishment for somebody who doesn't tweet a lot. And frankly, don't, don't imagine people care what I have to say. I tweet for myself, nobody else. But there's a lot to get into here on today's show. No guest. We've got our opening thoughts, of course, uh, and a, a mini summary that I gave a friend of mine on what the Islanders season has looked like so far. He hasn't watched too many games, so I gave him basically three thoughts on the team. Uh, we also have our puck headlines across the NHL. We've got our who's out. So usually around Thanksgiving time, the teams that are in a playoff spot typically maintain the position throughout. But I've got a couple of teams in each divi- or each conference, I should say, that I think might actually miss the playoffs from there. We've also got our best bets. We're 9-6 and six on the season. Went 1-2 and two a couple weeks ago. And also the week ahead for the Islanders coming up is just a brutal, brutal stretch. There are some good teams that the Islanders have to play, which kind of makes the game Tuesday against the Blues so much tougher to lose. And we'll start there. That's a game that you probably should have won against a team that kind of struggles and, and really is, is nothing special. They don't get great goaltending from their starter. Thomas Grice was in net, who I believe has had a better season than Jordan Bennington. I mean, that guy is not good. Actually, <laughs> tell you what, Thomas Grice does not have, have had such a good season either. Both goaltenders above a 3.4 goals against Thomas Grice, about two-tenths of a goal worse on a per-game basis. But this is a team you probably should have beaten. And you lose the, the a really just a weird game that you couldn't necessarily blame, who was it, Sorokin in net in the 7-4 loss. But you really kind of want that one back. When you score four goals near this team, you usually expect to win that game. And look, the offense didn't play, or the, the team defense didn't play great, right, in front of, Sorokin, the the team got 40 shots on net. That's a positive. But it was kind of a really weird game in which, other than the third period where you gave up two goals off rip, you played a nice game. You were down 3-1 going into the third. You kind of liked your chances, given on how they played. I mean, they fired 40 shots on net. They scored three in about 10 minutes of play to bring it to 5-4. But you pull the goaltender maybe a little too early, about two minutes in, or two minutes remaining in the third. Robert Thomas scores an empty netter. And then Noah Achari scores the second empty netter with about a minute left. So you had your chances. You liked what you did. But at the end of the day, you were a minus 195 favorite, and you lost the game. And that's tough. But 
get back to the thoughts I gave my friend on this team. The summary. I said, man of many words am I. Defense stinks. Sorokin is a god. And I don't know if the offense can keep going. That's what this season's been so far. It's a team that is playing alarmingly bad defensively. Second worst in expected goals against per 60 at a shade below three. Only Anaheim is worse. And that team is dreadful. That team is really bad. And you're right there with them defensively. Now, I did add in Sorokin as a god because that dude is an absolute stud. And Varlamov's been great as well. And I said a couple weeks ago, when either guy's in net, you have a chance to win. Both guys give you a chance to steal a game. Sorokin, or rather Varlamov, is averaging about half, or has five, uh, his goals saved above expected is five in nine games played, as I tried to word that rather poorly. He's only played nine games. Sorokin, second best net stat with 14.4 goals saved above expected. This defense is not good enough, but the goaltending has been tremendous. I mean, it has been really, really, really good. And that's what's currently keeping this team alive. Because when you're the second worst defense in expected goals allowed, and you're seventh in actual goals allowed, when, you're, when your team is supposed to be giving up about 0.8 more goals than you actually are per game, I mean, give Varlamov and Sorokin team MVP at this point. They've been that good. And you say, oh, this team can go back to their roots, right? Barry Trotz taught them all the defense. And I, I think they can, but they've got to start doing it. I mean, we're 20 games, 27 games into the season. We're almost a third of the way through, and the defense just isn't, isn't cutting it. And I don't know if you've decided you're going to take a step back defensively and said, look, we're going to give up more chances. But you look at the Rangers last year. They were not this bad in terms of how their defense was. And this style of play the Islanders are playing is very comparable to the Rangers last year. Now this year, of course, the Rangers are playing better hockey in terms of their analytics, but they're just not getting the goals that they got in the power play. And Igor Shosturkin's not playing at a godlike top five goalie performance of the cap era. And that's the only thing that kind of scares you of the Islanders is to look ahead and, you know, we don't have to look to next year because this team could be entirely different next year. I don't expect Sorokin to be this good because this isn't a sustainable type of good over the course of multiple years. We see it with Igor Shosturkin. But the offense is, is, is impressing me, right? Like you're, you're scoring some nice chances. You're middle of the pack offensively. You're fired off 40-plus shots in your last three games. I don't hate it. I don't hate the offense. I like the way that the defense is getting involved. I like the way that Matt Barzell is is playing a little more aggressive. It seems like he's got a couple more goals than he has, I want to say, in the past. But you're getting some depth. And I think that's the most important thing. Barzell's doing his thing. Brock Nelson's on pace for 36 goals. But really, to me, the biggest key factor for this team is J.G. Paggio and Zach Parise. These guys right now are probably the reason they're clinging to the third third spot in the Metropolitan. Because Matt Barzell being a point per game, you needed that. You did. Brock Nelson, 26 points, you expected that. But J.G. Paggio would have seven goals in 27 games and 15 points. What is that? It's probably a 50-point season 
if my math is correct, maybe a 40-point season. For Zach Parise to have nearly 10 goals this far into the season, he's at nine. Again, he's on pace for close to 30 goals. That's not something I expected, and it's something that this team, frankly, needed. Because Josh Bailey's not cutting it at this moment in time. Right? For some reason, Anthony Beauvillier is not quite cutting it at this point in time. He hasn't taken that next step that guys or the team kind of expected him to. Oliver Wallstrom's kind of hit a skid after his hot start to start the year. So to have those two guys playing the way they've been playing is so critical for this team. But again, for, for, the, for, the, for this team, it's just, it's very hard because of how good the division is. And early on, you said, okay, the Penguins stink. They're struggling, right? The Rangers stink. They're struggling. We got it. We got second. We got third. We'll match with Carolina nicely. But all of a sudden, you just go 500 in your last 10 games, and Pittsburgh picks up 16, 17 of a possible 20 points going 8-1-1. One, and one. And you're right back in a wild card spot, and you're just three games ahead or three points ahead of the Rangers. We're still trying to figure their way. So you can like what they're doing, and you can say, hey, you know, after that that rough start or that rough stretch in the early-ish part of the season, you have have a nice little run of wins going, and they did, right? We'll we'll rattle some of them off now. After that three-game losing streak in October. You had a one, two, three, four, five game winning streak, a two game winning streak, another two games, a four game winning streak. You only have six losses in that mix or seven losses in that mix. But the fact of the matter is, is you're not losing those games in overtime. You're not getting those loser points. And the Penguins have just been dominant as of late. I don't know what happened. I don't know what, what switch flipped for the Penguins, but right now it's not what you want if you're the Islanders. Now, flip side to make a positive, you're 500 in your last 10 games, and this is your skid. If you can get out of it, if you can steer into the skid and get to your winning ways and start tightening up defensively and playing a little better and scoring more and not leaving your goaltender out to dry, all of a sudden, this 5-5 five and five skid turns into a five-game winning streak, and you're right there with the Penguins sitting in third in the division or even second right there with the Carolina Hurricanes. Because... Technically, you're tied with the Penguins at 32 points, and you're just two points behind the Hurricanes, and both those teams have a game at hand on you. So you're right there. And you've got a game with the Carolina Hurricanes coming up next week, which we'll get to in a little bit, that is a team that you've played against very well. You dominated the last time you played, and that's a big game because that's a four-point swing. And yes, it's early, but you also kind of need to actually win these games and those head-to-heads. When you got the opportunity. But one guy they won't be doing it with, it seems, is Adam Pellick. He left the game on Tuesday with an upper body injury. Uh, Stefan Rosner of NYI Hockey Now also pointed out that his knee or his leg kind of bent in a weird way after getting hit by Robert Bertuzzo. Kind of looked concussion-y. I'm not going to speculate, but that's kind of the, the head, neck, shoulder, back sort of region is what looked like he hurt. He also was helped off the ice. looked like he almost fell down. The team did not practice on Wednesday, so we don't quite have an update on Adam Pellick. But you can't afford to miss him long-term. Because you look at the depth of this defense, and it is slim to none. You're already playing uh, Sebastian Ajo minutes that, frankly, I don't know if I would quite want him to play. And now the next guy on that list is Robin Salo, who you sent down a couple weeks ago. 
So I don't love how the defense looks. I do think that come the deadline, they're going to need to pick up a defenseman, whether it be a, you know, I'll throw out the example, Jordy Ben. I don't think he's on the market, but that's the kind of guy you might need. Cheap, low cost, get a couple of them. Why not? And see if they can stick. Because one of those guys has got to figure it out. And frankly, I don't love the idea of playing Sebastian Ajo significant minutes in the playoffs. Now, is Jordy Ben the answer? Probably not. But is there a guy like that that can bring that veteran play and can give you 15 minutes a night in a favorable matchup? Listen, there's going to be a ton of defensemen available. So I sure think you could find one for a fourth-round draft pick. But a guy I really want to get to that I really want to talk about is Patrick Kane. Because there's been some rumblings that he will be coming to the Islanders come the trade deadline. And I think you have to go all in and get him. And obviously, the, the, the rumors... Couldn't quite locate the source, but the Spit and Chicklets guys speculated about it. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation about it. Matt Barzell was asked about Patrick Kane, and he said it'd be pretty cool to play with a guy. Uh, he was second to none. Such a good passer, such a good goal scorer. He really does everything with the puck. Uh, Barzell added he doesn't know if the rumor is true or not, but it would definitely be cool. And I think you got to go all in. Because this is a team that lacks a put, your, put the team on the pack on your back, I'm going to get you a goal type of scorer, type of player. And Patrick Kane is that guy, undoubtedly. Uh, you know, recently, when it comes to trade deadlines, the Islanders have only acquired guys that they've extended. And again, Stefan Rosner mentioned that in a piece for NYI Hockey Now, saying he doesn't think Lou Lamarillo would bring him in unless he can sign a deal. I don't know if I would agree with that. I don't have any sources, but Lou Lamarillo is in the last year of his contract. If I'm Lou Lamoureux, I'm worried about this year, and I don't really care what happens to the future of this team because I don't want to get fired or, I guess, have my son take over because Chris Lamoureux has been in the organization for quite some time now. I would be very desperate if I'm the Islanders to make a splash at this deadline because the East, frankly, is wide, wide open. The Bruins, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, kind of, I don't trust them. I don't trust them come playoff time. They're a little too old for me. I think they'll waver a little bit. Tampa Bay is is kind of in a retooling stage. They've played a lot of hockey recently. Maybe they take a step back this year. The Panthers stink. They have no goaltending, and their defense took a hit when they traded, um, when they made the trade to get Kachuk. Now look at the Metro, and I say the Carolina Hurricanes. They do scare me a little bit, but you've handled them pretty well. The Penguins, again, aging. And you were, a week ago, you were five points ahead of them, whatever it was. And then there's the Devils, who I don't trust their goaltending. This Eastern Conference is as wide open as it's ever been. This is the chance for the Islanders to make a run. And I know they had their chances during the COVID years when the Lightning throttled them. But this team is different than those years because of the style of play. Because Matt Barzell is on pace for 80-plus points this season. And Patrick Kane is a guy that can make sure that Matt Barzell hits that plateau. Because there might be a time when Honors Lee is struggling or Parise is struggling or whoever is struggling on Matt Barzell's wing and they can't put the puck in the net. And then Matt Barzell is sitting here saying, well, I should have five assists in my last 10 games, but I have one because no one can put the puck in the net. Patrick Kane is the guy that can put the puck in the net on a consistent basis for Matt Barzell. And that's the guy you need to be aggressive for. You need to. I did like Stefan's comparison uh, to Claude Giroux 
Both are 34. Both control where they go with no trade clauses. By the way, Patrick Keene loves Matt Barzell's game. Both were franchise cornerstones for their respective teams, the Blackhawks and the Flyers, before they were getting traded. So I would expect Kane to be very strategic in where he goes. I was reading, ah, I forgot his name for The Athletic, but he's a great follow, the Blackhawks beat writer for The Athletic. I cannot believe I'm forgetting his name, and I apologize. Basically said, look, Patrick Kane doesn't want to leave the Blackhawks. He's looking for a reason to stay, but he can't find that reason anymore. That's how bad this team's been. So if he's going to handpick where he wants to go, sure, it could be the Rangers, who might not make the playoffs. It could be the Islanders. It could be the Bruins, who don't have quite have the cap space the Islanders do. Because at the deadline, the Islanders will have about $10 million in accrued cap space to go out and get a guy like Patrick Kane. I just don't know where the fit is for a guy like that with that money, with the no-trade clause. And I think the Islanders could be that, that team. One thing I'd really like to see with Patrick Kane is him playing with Matt Barzell because they play so similar. They both have speed. They both have the edge game. They get the puck on the string in the offensive zone. They do what they can. They basically do whatever they want with the puck on their stick. But the one big thing is, can Patrick Kane teach Matt Barzell how to shoot the puck? Because he just doesn't do it. And if that can be the legacy that Patrick leaves in his four months as an Islander or his four years if he signs an extension, that might be worth the first-round pick and then some that you give up. Because Matt Barzell is a shot away from being one of the most dynamic players in the NHL. He is probably one really good shot, one snipe away from being a Connor McDavid light. Because he's got the wheels, he's got the handles, he's got the creativity, but he just doesn't have that shooting threat. And if he can learn that, then he becomes a dynamic player and one of the best in the NHL. So I absolutely love the idea of Matt Barzell playing with Patrick Kane. I think it makes a lot of sense, and I would be all in on getting him because this is an aging team that needs a little boost to give them a real chance to win a Stanley Cup. Speaking of the Stanley Cup, we'll get into our puck headlines, and we'll start with the reigning Stanley Cup champions, the Colorado Avalanche. They are in the second wildcard spot, tied with Calgary because of a ridiculous amount of injuries. Half of their top six defensemen to start the year, seven of their 12 forwards to start the year, all injured. Bowen Byram, one of them. Josh Manson, one of them. And then the forwards, you're missing basically four of your top six forwards. McKinnon, Landeskog, Lekkinen, Nachushkin. If you want to throw Evan Rodriguez in that mix, there's nothing you can do if you're the Colorado Avalanche. All you can hope to do is tread water and wait because you're missing McKinnon for, I think, four weeks at this point. And Landeskog's out for quite some time, if I'm not mistaken. But with all that, they still got 13 wins. 27 points, and they're battling. They sure are. Uh, two Stanley Cup hopefuls met on Tuesday. It was the or Monday, I think it was the Vegas Golden Knights and the Boston Bruins. Uh, the Golden Knights ended the Bruins' home winning streak. They were they're now 14 0 1 at home after the shootout loss. Vegas blew a three nothing lead. Boston forces overtime. Made me sprinkle a couple bucks to live bet them when they were down two nothing or I think 3 nothing it was, and I nearly came away with the win. One thing we got to stop with Vegas is the little, little, the goofy thing they do. I don't even know what to call it, 
but they tweeted afterwards or before it would be a real shame if a little expansion franchise ended your streak. And I think once there's a team younger than you, you can't consider yourselves the expansion team. That's the, that's the Kraken. We're second in your division, by the way. It's just a bit too much for me, but I digress. Uh, To round things out in our puck headlines, the Toronto Maple Leafs ended Jason Robertson's point streak of 18 games with the 4-0 win earlier this week. Mitch Marner actually extended his point streak to 20, the longest in Toronto history in that game, the 4-0 win. And this was actually the first game in the NHL with two players with point streaks of 18 games or more. So that was a fun game. I frankly would have thought the two coaches should come together at the start of the game, pull the goalies, spot each other a goal, give them each a point. I guess it's not allowed in in hockey for whatever reason. Maybe it's frowned upon. I don't know. But that was a cool little moment. And ESPN Plus to have the headiness to to get that game. They put on, um, what was it called? It was like Star Watch. And you just had in the corner a, a camera shot of just Robertson and a camera shot of just Mitch Marner throughout the entire game. And that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Uh, wrapping things up, Shane Wright scored his first NHL goal in his first game back after he was sent to the AHL on a conditioning stint. Uh, scored his first goal against the Montreal Canadiens, who took Slavkovsky over him first overall. Th- that was a big conditioning stint for Shane Wright. He needed to play actual minutes. He wasn't getting it in Seattle. He scores four goals in those five games. And now he sees his ice time jump on Tuesday from an average of eight minutes in his first seven games to 11 minutes. And while I think he's probably a 14-minute-a-night kind of guy, if you want to compare him to, and I guess there's no real comparison, but Oliver Wallstrom, right, a young guy on the Islanders, obviously they have completely different expectations for each other. One was supposed to be a first overall pick, and the other was uh, you know, an early to mid first-round pick kind of guy. Oliver Wallstrom averages 12 minutes per game, 12 and a half. So can we see Shane Wright maybe get to 12, 13, 14? I think you should. He's got the talent. He's got the wherewithal. Maybe playing center is a little bit tougher in the NHL than a wing, so it takes some more time. But that's a fun team out there in Seattle, man. Matty Benier is in the mix. That's a that's a good team. They're getting some unsustainable goaltender play, which we'll get to in a little bit. But that is a really fun team to watch with Beniers and the young pieces that they've put together. All right, let's get to the segment, the one-off segment we'll do this week. Who's out? So usually, as we said before, around Thanksgiving time, most of the teams stay in the playoff spot. You know, if you're so far out of it, you're probably not making the playoffs. But I'll pick here two teams that I think will miss the playoffs that are currently in it. And one is sort of the best bet that I like the most. The other ones are kind of the teams that I don't love. But if I had to pick a second team, I'll give you the second team. So the first team, Detroit. They're not making the playoffs this year. I'm sorry. I like what they're doing. They're a young team. They start off hot. They're going to go through a real tough stretch, and I don't know how they bounce back from it when they eventually do. They're 13, 7, and 5, 31 points. Tampa's tied with them in points with 31, same amount of games played. And if I had to bet on Boston, Toronto, Detroit, or Tampa falling out, it's Detroit, no doubt. Second team, I guess the Penguins. You know, they were on an 8-1-1 streak, but they're they're aging. You know, Crystal Tang's going to be out for quite some time as we send our, our thoughts and prayers to him after suffering his second stroke in the last 10 years or so. I don't know, man. I just don't trust the Penguins. They lost a lot of pieces. Evan Rodriguez was a nice piece that they had up until this season. If I had to pick one team, it'd be them. Because the the Devils have basically clinched. 21-4-1. The Hurricanes are the Hurricanes. They're great. They've got three good goaltenders. 
with Freddie Anderson, Anderson on the shelf. And then the Islanders, I mean, I could see them missing, but I, I don't want to speak into existence, right? Don't get me wrong. So I guess the second team I'd have to go with is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, teams I think will be in, I could see the Panthers, who currently sit about three points out, with, and Detroit's got a game in hand. I could see the Rangers making it as a wild card team. They're only two points back, but although the Lightning have two games in hand on them. But again, are those teams that bad? Are the Rangers this bad? Maybe. I just don't see it. They're playing better at 5-on-5. Five five. They're getting competent goaltending. I think it's a matter of time until they finally hit their stride and score the goals they're expected to score. Now to the West. I, I think LA might miss it. I really thought they'd take a step forward. I like them this year. But the goaltending they're getting has not been great. They've given up almost 100 goals already this season. And I just, I don't know it. Like, they just sent down Cal Peterson to the minors. They're eventually going to bring him back up. This was kind of a get-right situation. And then I've got maybe Seattle, because they've gotten really good goaltending play from Martin Jones, who is not a good goaltender. Uh, to pull up his numbers very quickly here as I try to find it. Uh, oh, man. Oh, there it is. I just I don't see Martin Jones being that guy, right? Look at their goaltenders. Martin Jones putting is has a save percentage or a goals against average of two ninety seven, which is, is not very good, but he's a lot worse than that. So I just don't see it. They they might have done enough to kind of pace themselves out and maintain a playoff spot, but like Calgary's in that mix. Calgary's only six points behind them, and you look at goaltending. A lot of it is about regression, and you can regress down to the mean, or you can regress back up to your mean or your average. And when I look at Jacob Markstrom, I think he's going to regress up and be better than he has been so far this season. When I look at the Predators, I think they're dead. So really, it's about nine teams I think will make the plus. Maybe the Blues can get hot, but their goaltending has been just terrible. We talked about it earlier, so I don't really know where you go there. But the West, if I had to pick one conference that will stay the top eight, I think it's the West. I think there's going to be some movement. I just don't trust Detroit. They're too young of a team for my liking. Their goaltending is legit. I'll give them that. But I think they're a little too young, and I don't love their defense right now for the Detroit Red Wings to make a playoff push here. But they're in the right direction. I will give them that. I will give them that. I'm, I'm curious what their stats actually look like. I haven't paid too much attention to the Red Wings this year. You know, Dylan Larkin's point-per-game guy. Dominic Kubalik's a point-per-game guy. That's crazy. It just, I don't know. Like, do I trust Andrew Kopp and David Perron to be my top five in my top five in scoring? I, I don't. I really don't. Olimata's has been a nice piece. Mort Sider's been a nice piece. Bertuzzi's been out for quite some time, and he'll continue to be out. The scoring, I don't love from them, if I'm being honest. They don't quite have the scoring punch that I'd like if I'm the Detroit Red Wings. But I digress. Let, let's move ahead and let's take a look ahead to the Islanders the rest of the way. The tough stretch that we talked about at the top of the show, it's, it's here. It's here. Friday at the Devils, Saturday versus the Hurricanes on a back-to-back, and then Tuesday taking on the Bruins in Boston. And, man, the Islanders never seem to beat the Bruins. That's a team that has had their number for quite some time. I guess they kind of, you know, relinquished the demon, so to speak, a couple of years ago in the playoffs. But in the regular season, when the Islanders face the Bruins, I always kind of get – a little, a little tightened up a little bit because that's a team that always seems to dominate. But again, you look at where the Islanders are, and I don't know if they can afford to do anything but 
go two two and one, or one one and one, or you know put up at least fifty percent of your points, because you don't want to drop out of a playoff spot, and the Rangers can be right on your heels. Now you're in a wild card spot, so the Panthers could be on your heels. You kind of need to win some games here. I think two and one would be nice for this team, and more importantly, just tighten up defensively. You know, I think you should beat the Devils in part because of how bad they beat you a little while ago. I mean, that was ugly. That was two months ago. It's been now since October when it kind of started that that four game skid that the Islanders had early on in the season. There's got to be you got to have some kind of hey, we got to we got to give you you know comeuppance for this or whatever you want to call it. And then Carolina, I mean, the Islanders played Carolina very well. You know, you you do get that as a home game, so you're not traveling too far from Jersey back to Long Island. I like Varlamov in that game. I like Sorokin in that game even. And then the Bruins is kind of a coin flip game. I hope you just keep it close and force OT. All right, let's get to the bets. I want to make you guys money because that's what I do. Nine and six. We, lo- we don't love the slate for Thursday's games, but I'll have to give you some things. I like the Winnipeg money line over St. Louis. It's a minus one, a 114. I like Detroit over, or the Detroit and Florida over six and a half at minus 122. I don't love the goaltending that Florida brings out every single night. As far as I can tell, Bob Rovsky's still their guy, even though he kind of stinks. And he's been really struggling recently. So if you get Bob Rovsky especially, I love that game. And I also like the Dallas and Ottawa over six and a half at minus 112. I didn't look at the team total, but I kind of love the Dallas team total, whatever that is, as long as it's reasonable, just because they were just shut out against Toronto. They put up a lot of shots in that game. And Ottawa's defense is stinky. They are bad. So if you want to sprinkle a little money on that, it's not a pick of mine. I only have those three, but I don't hate it. And to wrap things up, the NHL games of the week, Monday, Edmonton at Minnesota, Kaprizov, McDavid, that's star power. Dreisaitl, Marc-Andre Fleury is a good goaltender. What are you going to get from the goaltending at Edmonton? And then Tuesday, Seattle taking on Tampa Bay. They're second in the Pacific. We talked about the Kraken at length as of late in this podcast. But is Seattle legit? I think this game is going to help answer that question. I think that'll answer the question because Tampa, regardless of how they've struggled, Early on in the season, they're now 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. They know how to play hockey and winning hockey. And have they has Seattle learned that yet? Well, we'll find out. And with that said, that'll wrap up the Believe in Islanders podcast for the week. Thank you all for listening. Next week, we'll try to get a guest in the mix. Maybe we'll bring back our friend Stefan Rosner. Maybe we'll try to find somebody else in the mix as well. But be sure to follow us at Believe in Isles. Follow me at MattWalling99. And I will catch you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.